Hello and welcome to the Chronic Living Podcast, your need-to-know source for living with a chronic illness or disability. I'm your host, Alex Pappas, and I'll be sharing my experiences living with a chronic illness, as well as inviting others on to share their stories. So join me in shining a light on the world that is chronic living. All right, guys, thank you for joining me for another episode of Chronic Living. Today, I am joined by Chris, and he's going to share some of his experiences being part of the chronic community. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, this is the point I introduced myself. I am Chris Mitchell, or the Chris Mitchell, and that does not mean to be arrogant. It's just how I brand myself on my website, so you remember that. I was born many, many moons ago. Okay, 55 years. Yes, I'm old, but yet I don't feel or act old. When I was born, I was born with some complications from the rubella syndrome. Uh, So I was born with cataracts in both my eyes, which resulted in my vision being 2200 in my left, 2300 in my right. I cannot read out of my right eye at all, unless it's a giant billboard or I recognize the McDonald's golden arches. Either way, I can see those things. Uh, and I had my cataracts removed twice in my life, once near birth and once when I was about eight years old. I also was born with a constricted aorta, which is, I'm not a doctor. This is how they explained it to me when I was a kid. It's like a, they had to put like a straw into one of my aortas to keep it from, you know, collapsing and all. So I've had multiple heart surgeries from the time I was born up into my mid thirties. And my last heart surgery when I was 30. 30, whatever, 36, 37, 36, I had an ischemic stroke to my spinal cord, which to the lay community is a stroke. To you, me, it's a stroke. To this medical community, it's a spinal cord injury. So I, I'm actually kind of in two different communities there. So I have dual membership. I feel honored. So that did take away my ability to run, walk, or even stand. And I had to spend a few weeks in a rehabilitation hospital. And there was a, at least in my mind, a realistic chance I would never be able to return home. And the amazing part was I was engaged. I just got engaged about four weeks. No, I'm sorry, about two months before my ischemic stroke to my spinal cord. And my fiance stood by my side, was there every day and night with me at the hospital, took care of me. And we did wind up, I did wind up coming home and we did wind up getting married the following June on the date that we had planned. So that was a victory for me. Throughout my life, I've had some trouble with ADHD, um, which you might, I, I don't know if that's going to surprise anyone with how hyper I am right now, but I did get into some trouble at school and in, in society in general by having a smart mouth, which I thought that was the purpose of school to become smart. But apparently <laughs> having a smart mouth is not a goal. So no, I did no, get kicked out. That. No, they don't. I got kicked out of uh, one elementary school, one high school and two colleges in my life and and never kick a a principal in the shin that's the lesson i learned in ninth grade he was going to give me saturday morning detention my mom would ground me for that so i decided i could scare him by kicking him well i did not get saturday morning detention i got expelled and i nearly missed having charges pressed against me so don't try that at home uh so i also was asked to leave one college which worked out really well because i was relocating anyway and second college from an ADHD incident, I was expelled, but I got that overturned. Uh, I should have been caught on the carpet. I was wrong in how I reacted, but it got blown out of proportion by administration. But we got that all cleared up. I wound up actually working for that college after that. So that's kind of amazing. Yeah, and well. I've also had some trouble with um, seasonal affected depression. I've been in a, um, well, I've been on multiple vacations where belts are optional. Because <laughs> I, I've spent a little bit of time uh, many years ago, back in the 80s, um, dealing with some uh, depression issues and had to get some uh, professional psychiatric help for that. 
so that's pretty much an overview of um, who I am and what my my challenges have been through my life. Just a little bit, a little sprinkling of everything, you know. Yeah, a little bit of everything. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny how that works. You know, you get you got one condition, and they they tend to attract and like other other things yeah. as well. You can't just can't just be diagnosed with something. You got to have a little bit of depression in there. Yeah. You got to have a little bit of this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it keeps life interesting when you have multiple things you're juggling. Well, it is good that I can say that being that you're older, nothing physically hurts. Because mm, those of us that have some chronic conditions, like I mean, with colitis, there's usually a, a good amount of physical pain that comes along with it. So oh, there I, I feel is pain. a lot older. There is pain. I have some pain in my uh, left hip that I'm hoping is just arthritis. And okay. I had a fall because I, I tried something stupid. I let go of my rollator and tried moving a garbage can. And I fell and I broke my left knee. So I have some pain in my left. I'm sorry, my right knee. So I do have some pain and there's some pain in my back. I just have learned to block out the pain instead of letting it limit me from what I'm doing. But yeah, there's been pain in my life since my stroke. Okay. Okay. I know you said there wasn't. You didn't feel feel your age, so that's that's always right. Good. Yeah, I don't feel fifty five. Some of us that mentally. are younger that have a, <laughs> a bunch of issues feel a lot older than we are. So, yeah, I mean, I don't feel it in my mind, but my body tells me, "Hey, man, you are no longer a kid. That's no longer staying up all night watching movies." Yeah, it reminds you every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. What? So okay, so a bunch of different stuff. Um, so. Out of everything in the past, what really still affects you on a regular basis now? I don't like say? things really affect me that much. I know there's things I, I deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my vision, for example, I've never been able to drive. So it does limit me on getting around. I can't drive a car. I live in a smaller community. That it's transportation like, is a second thought to the, to the city government. <laughs> have, you, have you ever been able to drive or just never? No. Never oh. been able to legally drive because I've been legally blind all my life. So, oh, geez. Okay. So I ne- but I have driven, but not legally. Uh, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> in the grave. Okay. <laughs> yeah. My dad took me out to, to do a driving lesson in St. Louis. That's where I'm from. And we went to this park called Sunset Park. If you're familiar with St. Louis, you've heard of it most likely if you lived in North County. And near the edge of Sunset Park is, I, I never can remember it because both rivers run through there. It's either the Missouri and Mississippi River. Anyway, there's a lot of hills there. My dad told me, just do what I tell you to do. You'll be fine. And I did. I was doing great. Then we got done driving. And he said, okay, let's trade sides of the car. And I'll drive us home. He forgot to tell me to put it in park. And the car started rolling down the hill towards the Mississippi River. So, oh and he panicking, trying to get over the side. That big hump in the middle of the front seat of the his, uh, 1980 prize possession Thunderbird. And I'm, I'm jumping back in to put the brake on. And that's the first time and only time in my life, I'd like to point out, that I actually followed my dad's directions to the letter. <laughs> oh, he just forgot to tell you to put it in park. <laughs> well, it's natural to somebody who drives, you know, that yeah, you just yeah, you distinctively it. put it in park. But when you're telling someone who's never driven before, you can't leave out that little detail. It's bad. Yeah, yeah. I guess this is the issues there. So it, it, today, uh, I'm still having some challenges being independent and, and traveling and getting around in a community that does not have the greatest public transportation system in the world. Uh, right now I am married. My wife is on driving restriction. She had a um, seizure about five months ago, so she can't drive for another month. So it's been really challenging to get errands done, but thanks to great creations like DoorDash, Walmart delivery, and Amazon, I'm pretty much taken care of. So 
Is um, um, is Uber not like a big thing in your area? Um, Uber, Uber, is, it, Uber is a good thing, a big thing. Um, my mom lives close to us, so she'd been shuttling my my wife and I back and forth to her doctor appointments. So, okay. um, but Uber Eats, where I live, outside my neighborhood, about one tenth of a mile is a train track. And Uber Eats stops there because they say their food gets too afraid to travel any further. So I can't get food from Uber Eats. Uber, if you're listening, fix that. Uh, but I can through DoorDash and Grubhub. God forbid they have to go across the train tracks. Yeah. Right, so, well, yeah. A, kind of so traveling is a little bit of a challenge, but I find ways around it. I don't let it limit me. I don't let anything limit me. I just find ways around it. I just look at it as people with any disability or any challenges in life, we have to think outside the box and we have to find ways to problem solve that everyone else never thinks of. No. No, they really don't. And a lot of things to take, you know, take for granted for granted. And I know like personally, like colitis. So a big thing that kind of limits things is, you know, restroom accessibility. Right. So it's always, you know, thinking, okay, you know, learn all those extra places. Like where are all the public restrooms? Where are the ones that I'm willing to go into? Me because too. some of right. them, some of them are pretty bad. Um, yeah. We, I've had that problem too with the restrooms. Yeah. And it's, it's like, okay, you know what? You gotta, you gotta take those things into account. And then like, if you're, if you're colitis, like personally, if it's flaring up, cause I have severe colitis and if it's acting bad and I want to go out and do things, you always have an extra change of pants and shorts in your, in your car, just in case. Yeah. Well, I've been, I've been through that because one of the problems with um, spinal cord injuries, the type that I have, mm-hmm. we have some struggles with bladder control. So I yep. wear a fanny pack in front, just in case of a little dribble. I don't want the world to know about, which now I told the world. So, well, you know, it's, but the problem I have with restrooms we were talking about a moment ago, if you own a business and it's an older building and you got to retrofit it for ADA, hey, here's a little tip. Slapping two rails up does not make a bathroom stall accessible. Okay. Nope. I've nope. been in one restaurant. They got the rails there, but it's still narrow and you cannot get your wheelchair in there or any mobility equipment. Right, do you normally use a wheelchair? Uh, no, not anymore. Not I anymore. use a okay. rollator to get around. Uh, longer distances i have a motorized scooter but uh, you know after being in a wheelchair for a while and i saw those rails i cannot get my walker in there i knew a wheelchair cannot get in there and you don't have any ability to stand and and take a few steps you can't use that restroom so slapping two rails up does not make it accessible people well it also depends on the way that the door swings whether the door swings in or out because they're technically supposed to swing out not in Mm -hmm. Um, yeah there's a lot of things that kind of go into play there and no, I was asking because one of the guys I interviewed, he um he actually uses a Segway as his oh, mobility really? aid. Yep, it was the mm-hmm. first time I ever heard of it, but it, it works really well for him. He has a, f- a rare form of muscle dystrophy. Mm-hmm. So he has, he has issues with uh, walking longer distances and such. But no, we were having a conversation about that mobility access just because there's a lot of, uh, he's dealt with a lot of issues with having a, a segue and people not allowing access for it, even though it's covered under the ADA as a uh, electric mobility device. Mm-hmm. So, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, and you know, when you do get a mobility device, you want to make sure it's covered by ADA and you also want to make sure it's ADA meets the ADA requirements. I've seen some people that there's some requirements. I'm not going to quote them because I don't know them by heart, but a certain size for it to be in public transportation. And I know some people who went out and got scooters that were like, almost a small monster truck. And then they yeah. were upset at the bus driver 
because it would not be accessible for it to be tied down securely on the bus for their safety. Well, that's not the city bus company's fault. You need to also be aware what is meet, what meets the guidelines because the buses are built for a certain size for mobility equipment. You want to make sure that your equipment fits that. I mean, you want to be comfortable, but you don't want to have something so big that they say, just follow behind the bus in the road and drive carefully. Yeah, yeah. No, I can understand that. And yeah, and that that is one of the things because there are standards around the size for mobility access and the standard sizing of things. Um, I know that the the guy that I was talking to, he was having issues with just places not letting him in. Right. Um, because it was a Segway versus like, you know, your mm -hmm. standard handicap just chair. Right. Wheelchair scooter, wheelchair, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Or the little yeah. ones where, you, you know, you put one knee on and you kind of just scoot around. Right. So, <clears throat> yeah, there's some education around that. And, you know, Segways aren't these massive things like some customized. No, they're not. Be. No. Because they do. I mean, they make some pretty crazy off-road wheelchairs and stuff too that, that definitely like don't small fit. convertible yeah they definitely don't fit in standard areas where you expect them to fit but they're right. they're meant for a specialized use right so. so you're looking into mobility equipment make sure just because it's being sold to you by a durable medical goods store does not mean it's going to be ad accessible so ask about that yep yeah it might be covered under whether you're able to use it or not you just might not be able to have access to everywhere that you would normally have access to want it to go to yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah it was a lot of the a lot of the unique unique things that we have to take into account thankfully not you know i haven't had any mobility issues i just have accessibility to restroom issues from time to time that's about it and i love parking <laughs> And how motorcyclists, and I know they're going to get mad at me, but it's, it's true. That striped area next to disabled parking was not put there for your motorcycle. Don't nope. park there. Nope. <laughs> and not. When I first came home after my rehabilitation hospital stay, somebody did park their car next to mine. And don't do this. I, I should not have done it, but I was mad. And I came out of Target and I had a Pepsi in my hand. So I poured the Pepsi into the guy's keyhole. So don't don't park next to somebody in a disabled parking spot in the striped area. You never know what they might do to your vehicle. Nope. Nope. I mean, they don't really have much of a defense either because you're not supposed to be there. So. Yeah. <laughs> so now I resorted to taking pictures of the car and with the license plate and sending them into the local police through Facebook. So yep, I found a better way of dealing with my aggression. Oh. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I can't say I run into a ton of people around here that park in the handicapped spots that shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Most of them just, I mean, you'll get the occasional person that's just not handicapped parking in the spot, but they're right. parking between the spots. And those are, yeah, that's pretty straightforward. You just take a picture of it and send it to your police. Please a lot of them let will, them deal with it. Yeah, a lot of them will do like tickets in the mail, mm -hmm. which works for me. Um, some yeah, it works places, for me too. Some places will actually have posted numbers you can call and they'll just tow it. Oh, that would be nice. I would love to see that in my community. Yeah, I live in a vacation area. So uh -huh. if you're parked in the handicapped areas for too long and you're not handicapped, they, they check them on a regular basis during the vacation right. seasoning. So, mm -hmm. you know, summertime, oh, yeah. they'll, they'll tell you. They'll yeah. Tell you pretty I, quick. And especially if you call I, them, they'll tell they'll come, they'll come out and tell them. Come quick right, make, right there. Yeah. That'd be make great. Make a lot yeah. of money per tow. So. <laughs> I've learned the hard way they do ticket. I went on a I went to a uh, writer's conference actually, and I was so excited about getting them. We had a rental car. My wife was driving, 
And I hopped out. We went in, you know, got my scooter and all. And I forgot to put down the placard. When I got back, I got a nice little bill for forgetting to put down the placard. <laughs> so, so you got to make sure you put down the placard too, because they don't only the ticket people who should not be parking there. They ticket those that park there that do not put down the placard. So, uh, I I owned it. I paid the fifty dollars, and I learned a very valuable lesson. Now I put down the placard everywhere we park, even if it's not disabled. Yep. Yep. Well, yeah. And thankfully, I have the plates in my car, so <laughs> I don't have to worry about it for the most part. And I don't can't say I use rental cars all that often no but no yeah yeah they got the, the package and you gotta make sure you have your little card with you too your little mm-hmm. wallet card which i find really uh, frustrating because there's a unique number on each of those placards why don't they just link it to your id card instead of having to carry this little piece of paper like i have a note from my mommy that says i can park here i, I don't get why i have to carry the piece of yeah. paper but yeah. i do it anyway yeah, because I, I mean, I have the little card and I think mine, like half the letters and stuff on it are worn off because they're not, uh-huh. they're not like sealed or anything. Right. It's just printed on it. So it's like, it, I don't really know what it does. But yeah, the fact that they don't link it to you, like your driver's license. Yeah. You're thinking, well, yeah, just run my license. Or my ID card in my case. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now yeah. yours is a card because here in Missouri and in California, they were just pieces of paper you have to carry with you. We don't have yeah. an actual card. <clears throat> Virginia gives you an actual like plastic card. Oh, okay. That's all. It's just nice not. Them. They don't. After they print the information on it, they don't like seal it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I realized the other day when it sits in your wallet for like a couple of years, a lot of it isn't readable anymore. It's kind of just smudged. yeah, yeah. You Can try you to clean lamp- it off, and you take the lettering off with it. You're like, oops. Well, yeah. I was trying to clean it, but it took the whole thing off. Can you laminate those? Um, if you think about it before when you get it brand new probably okay i know <laughs> that say, now no some states uh, prohibit you laminating stuff that's why i was asking i'm gonna be honest if they prohibit it i don't care when i get the next <laughs> one i'm going to laminate it <laughs> laminate, because okay. i'm sure that i'm sure the warning for laminating it is less than if you don't have a legible one on you when you're supposed to yeah <laughs> so probably a good point yeah yeah like if they want to say anything, be like, look, the last time I didn't laminate it, you couldn't read anything on it and just smudged. <laughs> let, let me show you my old one I did not laminate. This like, will yeah. explain why I'm doing this one laminated. Like it's blank. I know all the lettering came off. <laughs> this is the card. Just hop down to your FedEx, um, Kinko's, uh, UPS store, someone get it laminated. Yeah. I don't know why some places are against that. Like, it doesn't make any sense. I don't get it either. I know you're not supposed to laminate your COVID vaccine cards and i understand why because you have more vaccinations it's hard for them to put that on the card but i mean i guess i got one of those little protective um envelopes that i can carry my covid card in i got that off of amazon so i I wanted to protect the card oh it's in your glove it's in my glove box so mine's in my fanny pack that i mentioned a little bit earlier so i don't crammed in there a whole bunch of stuff so thankfully yes. I don't, they're not requiring us to wear masks if we're vaccinated we don't have to prove that we're vaccinated around here so oh good 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 yeah um i'm wearing a mask all the time um because uh, my wife has also been diagnosed with cancer so i don't want to bring anything home to her no that's so, fair that's fair yeah so so uh we don't need to make the cancer any worse than it is already so no <laughs> Yeah, that's oh. that's a nasty enough of a uh, disease as it, it is. It is a very nasty and very, very difficult to to be a caregiver of or to be going through it yourself. So, it's been a fun year for me here. Was it um, 
Was it something they caught earlier? Uh, we caught it at stage four. Oh, so yeah. later. So not great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. Already dealing troubled. with that. Yeah, that's not a fun not thing. Fun. So. <laughs> no, no, but we're, we're going to make the best of it and do everything we can. We're going to fight it, fight as long as we can. If we lose, um, we're going to go down swinging. That's our attitude on that. And which has been my attitude with every challenge I faced in my life and every disability. Yeah. No, and, and I definitely understand that. Like, I think that's that's a big part of it too. Is kind of your your mindset and how you look at right. it, and how you approach things, can affect a big part of how it's treated and, and the outcome of things as well. Right, I totally agree. That if you um, have a positive attitude and you go in there, I'm going to defeat this. This is not going to define who I am and what I can do. You're going to have a better chance. You won't always win, but you have a better chance at winning. No, it definitely definitely helps your odds, and. Um, in the state you're in, are there any like better treatment options with, I know, like marijuana in certain states? I don't know if they use that to treat or help with the pain of any of the. That has not guess, been brought treatment. up. And right now her pain level is very, very low. That's not bad. Very. Okay. Because I know, no, I know some not. of the medications and stuff they yeah. put you on can be really nasty. Yeah. Right now we're not into full-blown chemo. We're just um, starting some of the treatment with some um, prescription medicine that has some chemo in it and a little bit of pain killers in which she only has to take that maybe once every three or four days so the okay. pain is very not, low right now not too bad well, that's good and, and we use the word right now because unfortunately that may change well yeah it, uh, cancer is generally a progressive uh, diagnosis so yes it is fortunately yes the, things do tend to get worse is that now to curiosity is that something that's that's legal in your state and an option um i don't follow that because i'm i you know i don't want to get in politics but uh, you know i've had a, a, my brother got involved in drugs and it wound up taking his life. So I don't really follow it that much, but okay. I do see some um, stores in the community where you can apparently buy marijuana, the cannabis stores. So I'm going to mm -hmm. assume that to some extent yeah, no. it is legal. I'm sure there's laws about how much you can have on your person at a time. Yeah. But yep. Um, I do think that is somewhat here. I don't know if it's just for medical or for recreational use. Yeah. Exactly. I ask because I know certain diagnoses and certain things it can help with um, right. colitis and Crohn's. There's starting mm -hmm. to be more and more studies about people just being able to treat their diagnosis with, right. um, you know, medical marijuana, which compared to some of the medications, the side effects are much, much less um, than some of the, the like steroids and stuff that they'll put you on right. some really nasty side effects. But with my job, regardless if it's legal or not, I'm allowed, not allowed to. So yeah. it's, it's always something I'm just curious about. Yeah. Which may yeah. change in the future, but currently it it's could. not. Yeah. Yeah. It so, so you, out of curiosity, are you on any like normal medication that you take on a daily basis yourself? Oh yeah. I'm on a ton of medicine. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Because I have a heart condition. Don't tell me, don't ask me in milligrams. One, I don't remember them and two, oh, I don't want to share them, but I'm on a tenol and a Lasartan for my blood pressure and my heart. I'm, on, I'm also diabetic, so I'm on metformin for my diabetes. Uh, so I'm on those kind of meds. Uh, mm. I also take a daily vitamin. My pharmacist recommend. I said, I need a vitamin. I want to have a vitamin. And he said, the best one for you, no joking, is a Flintstone vitamin. So I'm a Flintstone kid at the yep. age of 55. So I have that going for me. And I have a vitamin uh, Occuvite that I take for my eyes to keep them strong so I can continue seeing things and um you know, using my computer and doing the work that I do. Fun, fun fact. Um, 
being, you know, having colitis, mm -hmm. iron is usually an issue when it comes to colitis because, right. you know, blood loss, your body uses iron, or, you know, it's recreating blood in your system. Mm -hmm. um, so low iron is a common thing. For those that are getting nauseous when taking prescription grade iron, mm -hmm. I actually had a, a nurse that I met when I was in uh, retail. She right. suggested the kids, kids iron because they code it differently. Right. Um, and just taking the same, you know, dosage that you would take on your prescription grade with the kids version, because it's something, you know, a little easier on your stomach for those that have issues with the prescription grade. Iron. I did not know. So same thing with like the Flintstone, the kids, they, mm -hmm. the supplements are they're usually easier to digest. Right. Um, and your body can process them better because they just, they code them in a different way and they're slightly different mm -hmm. than normal um, but there's still, there's still, it's still as effective as taking the grown-up iron pills. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So, okay. say hypothetically, as I okay. can't even remember what my dosage is. Okay. Say you have a prescription for 150 milligrams right. of iron. Maybe the kids' ones are 30 milligrams of iron. You would just take five of the five kids of them. ones. Right. Yeah. Same right. dosage, just it's a different. The capsules are designed a little differently, and they absorb into your body a little differently differently okay and that probably works the same if you're taking over-the-counter adult iron pills yep uh, and you just switch to the kids to take the same milligrams or whatever measurement they have and that's from my understanding that's that's the same with a lot of the different supplements if you're having mm -hmm. issues with the adult versions you just get the uh get the kids version and just mm. supplement with however many equals what you're you know normally taking mm. That sounds interesting. I have to keep that, keep that in mind. It might require, you know, you might be taking like five pills instead of one, yeah. <laughs> but if it keeps you from being nauseous and you can actually take the supplement, that's the important part. Right. That's true. As long as you get it into your body, it doesn't matter how you do it, as long as you do it legally, but it's, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And thankfully in, in, in the U.S., the, the legal part's becoming more and more of an option. Right. It is. The laws are changing. Which times are changing which is definitely good because i think for sure especially the, the marijuana debate when you have so a plant that has next to no side effects in a negative manner that can do all these things and it's natural i feel like that should definitely be an option for people mm -hmm. if it works for them no it doesn't treat everything no but i mean personally i get i get an infusion every six weeks of remicade okay my infusions cost around eight thousand dollars a piece whoa <laughs> Yep. And that's, that's on the low end. There's certain areas in the United States, those same infusions can be upwards of $25,000. Wow. So that's why insurance about, is important. Yeah. So when you're talking about something that's, you know, eight to 25 grand yeah. that a little plant for a couple hundred dollars a month can fix that, that, you know, that not having that eight to $25,000 hanging over your head, if something's wrong with your insurance, if something happens. Yeah. A much better option. Plus, yeah, we, you don't want the insurance to deny your claim. Yeah, yeah, the, the, you can get iffy when you're changing around. Yeah, they're a lot less likely to approve a twenty-five thousand dollar medication versus like two hundred dollar prescription of uh, you know, and in in colitis's case, CBD THC oil. So not even like right. something you're smoking. It's just a capsule that you take. Like right. you would take fish oil or you know any other type of oil, but. Yeah, yeah. There's there's definitely a debate for the uh, natural options. Now, forgive my ignorance, but the medicine you said you get through the infusion, 
Is that for pain or what is that for? So it is for inflammation. Um, it is what manages the colitis itself. Okay. So colitis is inflammation in your large intestine and your colon, mm -hmm. which is the end of your digestive tract. And that's specifically colitis. Crohn's is the same type of inflammation in the form of ulcers, just anywhere in your digestive tract. And the Remicade fights inflammation in your body. Um, so it's very commonly used for Crohn's and colitis, but it can also be used for arthritis and a couple other conditions that are inflammation-based. Right. Because when you have a condition in, well, inflammation in your body is inflammation. Whether mm -hmm. it's arthritis, whether it's colitis, it, inflammation is inflammation. Your body treats it the same way and it can be treated the same way. That's why a lot of the times you'll see like Humira, they'll use mm -hmm. it all the time for arthritis. They'll, you know, um, use it all the time for colitis because it's inflammation is inflammation, which is something a lot of people don't know. So it's all treated the same when it comes to um, how it is treated and handled in the long run. Okay. I did not know that. Uh, so uh, yeah, you're so staying away from, I, I don't know if this may go right over your head, but um, from the Beverly Hillbillies, gram, Granny's Rheumatism Medicine, AKA Moonshine. Yeah, no, no, none of that. Okay. Um, alcohol and I actually do not get along at all. Uh, me either, me either. I've, it, I've done that and it's not good. Yeah, it, it, it bothers my colitis a lot. Um, hey. Now, currently it's just the Remicade. Remicade's all that I use and that keeps everything under control for, for the most part. When I've uh, had alcohol, I've had like a 90% glass of orange juice, 10% alcohol, had a headache hangover for two weeks from one, one small glass of the size of a coffee cup. So uh, yeah. my body does not tolerate it. My, and, and my dad's side of the family, there's a history of alcoholism. So I don't even want to go down that road. Yeah. Yeah. It's not worth it. No. Nope. So now there's, there's always Which a... would have been perfect because since I can't drive because of my vision, I could have gotten drunk as I want. I never have to worry, worry about getting behind the keys. Yeah, behind yeah, the steering wheel, but now, now it's like, oh man, somebody would love this opportunity that I can't drive, I can drink as much as I want, which you really should not do. That's bad for your health. Don't do that, people. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it not good for your health in general, but other things, yeah. Some of us with various conditions, not only is it not good for your health, it's it comes with a bunch of extra side effects that side are effects. not enjoyable, fun, yeah, 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 you don't want that. You pay for it in multiple ways, oh, yeah. Yeah, don't want that. All right, so a bunch of medications. Can't drive. Yep. So what does a normal normal day consist of? You do you have you have like a a job that you do? Are you retired? Uh, well, <laughs> how does that how what, does that work? One of the things that happened after my stroke, uh, people would walk up to me, and I'm on my scooter. Gee, I would love to be able to live your life and be on a scooter all the time. And that bothered me because I paid a high price to be on that scooter. I gave it the ability to run, walk, stand, and, and to some extent control my bladder. And it, it, it ticked me off. And I've had people say, wow, you must be in early retirement. I would love to have that. And it's like, I paid a hefty price for that. Yeah. So yes, technically, you could say I'm in early retirement. I don't look at it that way. I have my own business. I write. I okay. publish. I've written two self-published books. I host a podcast. I do speaking engagements. So I work from home all the time. You do I just keep my, home. so I do it all from home, which is great during COVID because 
with my, my health conditions, I'm a high risk for COVID. However, my wife has now surpassed me on the high risk for COVID chart because she's gotten her third booster shot and I haven't gotten mine yet because the doctor said I can wait. So I work from home. I get up in the morning, every morning around um, six-ish and have breakfast and take care of you know, personal needs. And I'm in my office here by 7.30 in the morning and I'm working and writing and doing all that stuff to around 4.30 or five in the afternoon. Some evenings I go to meetings, some evenings I go and speak, some evenings I record podcast interviews. I'm actively involved in Toastmasters. I'm involved in Writers Guilds. So even though it might be technically I'm, I'm early retirement, I don't act it and I won't think that way because I, don't, I, I would get bored sitting at home doing nothing all day but watching TV or YouTube. So I stay very busy. Yeah. Don't have your, don't have your stereotypical nine to five, but you're definitely, no. definitely still doing stuff. Yes, I am. Well, hey, that's good. It's good to stay, stay on top of things. And I know, well, I know a decent amount of the people that I've been interviewing that are part of, you know, the chronic or disabled community. They do mm-hmm. a lot of stuff from home. Right. Um, run a lot of that's- different blogs, podcasts. Some of them are, you know, talk to some people, the virtual assistants, because you can do mm-hmm. that from home as well. Um, yeah. The, the COVID has been one of the great things about COVID for the dis- disabled community. A lot of jobs are letting you work from home. And that's getting the disabled people employed, which mm-hmm. many of them want to be employed in the disabled community. The unemployment rate is near 20% unemployed, highest than any other demographic in the United States. And that's appalling. And there are people who want to work and businesses is looking at, oh, you're disabled. We can't hire you. Well, yeah. now they can get hired by working from home with all this remote work. It's been one of the best things that's happened to the disabled community. Obviously not the tragic loss of life, that's happened from COVID, but the opportunities that have hope opened for the disabled. Yeah, yeah, and it is, and I think I think for a lot of companies too, they're gonna they're gonna keep a lot of that in place even yeah. once COVID is is kind of we're back to normal and functioning because a lot of people are, you know they're getting just as much work done at home in less mm-hmm. time. They're being more efficient because they you know they're more comfortable. They're not at mm-hmm. work. They're not distracted by everything else going on. So. Yeah, we just need to get broadband internet nationwide where rural areas have good internet and this could really catch on. It saves businesses money. They don't have to pay for a big office building with all the people in it, the insurance on it, the liability, the the electricity bills, all of that stuff. It can save companies money, get people employed. It'd be better for our environment, less people driving, less pollution, better air quality, could affect climate change. There's so many bonuses to this. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's one thing COVID did. COVID has definitely uh, it shifted definitely a lot of helped stuff. the uh, planet out a little bit. Yes, it is shifted. A lot of it. things have been getting better. And in a way, the planet is saying, "I'm, you guys are not getting it. I'm sick. I'm going to fix this by making you guys sick, so you will take better care of me." Yep, that's one theory. <laughs> Might not be the right one, but it's my theory, and I own it. Well, unfortunately, if we don't take care of the planet, the uh, Either we take care of it or it, it gets rid of us to take care of itself. So, right. Yeah. Yep. There is no planet B. Yep. So this is it. We're on Earth. We got to take care of this planet. So. Now that comes from a guy who owns an SUV. So. I mean, yeah, it's, it's being reasonable about things, you know. Yeah. Now we have the SUV because it helps um, transport my mobility equipment. That's why we have it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's definitely, well. Yeah, yeah, I'm very big in on 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 the environment and clean energy yeah, and stuff. So the big recycler here. 
like the electric cars technically aren't helping the planet any more than the SUVs are. People just don't uh -huh. understand the connection between the two. But we recycle everything. I, California was better at recycling than Missouri. Missouri is horrible about it, but they do some. And I, I, a neighbor of mine, her son likes to recycle to earn money. So we save everything. We give it to him so he can recycle it. And we've been doing that, I don't know, about three, four years. And it's really teaching him the value of um, earning the money he wants so he can buy the video games he enjoys playing. So we help out with that. Oh, he's a gamer? Yeah, he's a gamer. I don't know what games he plays. I don't know anything about him, but oh. he's happy. So that's all. That, he's like in uh, middle school now, I think sixth grade. Hey, I'm all about gaming. I'm a big gamer myself. So <laughs> I, I, after sitting in front of my computer eight to 10 hours a day, the last thing I want to do is sit in front of a screen for another four hours playing a video game. So <laughs> more power to you. <laughs> yeah, no, I've been, I've been doing a lot less of it now with the podcast. The podcast yeah. definitely takes takes priority. And I spend priority. a lot of time on yeah. it. Yeah. But but it needs to. Like, uh, yeah. The bigger it grows, the more people it helps, the more people it helps, the better off we all are. Yes, and the most important thing anyone can do in their life is to give back and help another person. When you help somebody else, it gets your mind off your own problems and it helps you overcome your own challenges. At least I believe that. Well, I mean, not only that, I feel like personally, I feel once we've kind of come to terms with whatever we're diagnosed with, it's kind of mm -hmm. our, uh, our duty to help other people suffer less. Responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a responsibility. Once you come to terms with what you're doing, Dealing and becoming successful despite that challenge is your responsibility to pay it forward and help others. Yep. Yep. It's um, something I heard a long time ago and it comes, it comes into play in like entrepreneurial and business-based mindset, right. but I think it can, it can come into play. It's the, it's the one third rule. Mm -hmm. Now you're supposed to spend your time. You're supposed to spend a third of your time with people that are mm -hmm. where you want to be. Mm-hmm whatever it may be, whether it's, you know, wealth, success, growth, knowledge, mm -hmm. spend a third of your time around people that are at the level you want to be at. You spend a third of your time around people that are on the same level as you, but have different experiences, right? They're growing, you know, they're working, they're at the same level. They have very different experiences and knowledge. You can still learn from them, but they're on the same level. Then you right. spend a third of your time helping people up to where you're at. And I think for the chronic community, a lot of that is, helping people get to the stage of acceptance and understanding of what they're dealing with mm -hmm. and helping them through the newer stages of it. For those of us that are, you know, get diagnosed with something that are essentially functional people to start with that get diagnosed with something that's definitely a lot more adapting than people that have had something for their entire life. So yeah. and there's a lot of education and a lot of uh, information that we can feed them not to fix everything, but right. To help things suck a little less. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can agree with that because my vision, I was born with low vision, legally blind. So mm -hmm. I that never was an obstacle to me. And people would ask me, how do you get around with that limited vision? And like, not limited to me. It's been this way my entire life. Yep. But it took me a while to adapt to losing the ability to run, walk, or even stand. Because I had, up to that point, for 36 years, been Mr. Active. Mr. I could walk anywhere in the town I want to walk to any bus stop. I walked from one side of my town to another one evening just for the heck of it. Yep. And that was taken away from me. And it took a while to adapt to losing that as opposed to my vision. Never really bothered me because that's always been that way. And that's, 
that's kind of the big thing because I, I, you know, I talked to a lot of different people and some people have been living with something their, their, their entire life and they're used to it. They have their ups and downs because it's not mm-hmm. fun with some of no. the restrictions based on what they have, but they're used to it. Whereas right. people that are, you know, diagnosed with something when they're a teenager, when they're an adult in their 20s, 30s, 40s, they had a fully functional, normal life. And now all these restrictions are coming into play. That's that's a big shock to the system. Yes, it is. Especially depending on, you know, where you are in life and what else you're dealing with. I see a lot of people in the, the Crohn's and colitis community, you know, they, they're new to having a family. They got younger kids. They just got married. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in their early 20s. They're just starting to create something. And then, boom, they get hit with like colitis or Crohn's. One of, you know, one of the family members, either the wife or the husband. Mm-hmm. And now the entire dynamic changes because now you got kids you got to take care of, but one of them has zero energy to do anything when they're flaring up. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's a big, big change. And I think that was definitely the hardest time for me was the, that adapting time frame, the first couple of years, getting used to everything new and kind of accepting it. And that's, that's kind of where I think this, this podcast comes into play was like, Hey, here's all the tips and tricks. Here's how you no. make it suck a little less or get used to it a little faster. Here's here's some things and you know it's like no, it's a scary new world of dealing with all these doctors and everything. Here's how you uh, navigate it. Now, for me, one of the things that's helped me is a sense of humor, and you know I I try to find a plus side in everything. And I don't know if you've done this or not, and I'd love to hear your answer in a second here. Uh, for for me, I lost the ability to run, walk, or even stand. But the upside is. Nobody will ever again ask me to help them move or paint their house. <laughs> I mean, that's true. I think I don't have, I have the perfect excuse to get out of that. Well, yeah, that's true. I think a sense of humor has to come into play when you're dealing with something. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I have colitis. I refer to right. it as, you know, I have a broken butt. Okay. My butt's broken. Like that's just, that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and you got to have a sense of humor around it. Yes, I was you actually, and especially when you have colitis, you know. It's, it's a big thing part of the community but when it comes to I think kind of the purpose and, and my viewpoint on everything it takes a while to get to that point mm-hmm. and I think you you definitely have to come to terms with what you're diagnosed with before you have that sense of humor around it mm-hmm. but I say it and I refer to it a lot it's my three p's and I talk about it a lot because I believe it very strongly you know pain puts things into perspective and that perspective can give you a purpose Right. And I think you start to understand that and learn that around the same time where you start to have a sense of humor around everything. Because I think definitely at first, when you're newly diagnosed with something, if you haven't been living with it your entire life, there is that that period where it's not funny at all. No. <laughs> Nothing about it's funny, even no. though it is a little funny, not to you. Yeah. Um, because it's this this massive negative thing that's just impacted your life. Um, as things start to progress and you, you get more used to it, you kind of get into your rhythm. Um, if you find your you know your medication rhythm that keeps you feeling somewhat normal, mm-hmm. as normal as you can feel, then you can start to look at things a little differently. You get that perspective. You're like, okay, you know what, this isn't that bad, or hey, this is kind of funny. That's kind of funny. You can kind of poke poke fun at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think around that same time, you can start to kind of understand like, okay, you know what, maybe I can start doing something with this. Maybe I can start having some fun with it. Maybe I can start helping other people with it. Right. So I think it's, it's, it's a process. Yeah. And 
you know, I talked to someone a couple, couple months ago now, um, mm-hmm. and she was talking about addiction, right. both to alcohol and, and drugs in general. And we talked for quite a while and we we're talking about like, you know, the different stages and going through and helping and stuff. And she's talking about how the, how the 12 step program was actually very, very similar and could be used for people that are dealing with like a chronic illness or disability that are new to it. Right. Cause you go through a lot of the same stages and a lot of the same steps for different reasons, you know, if you're addicted to a medication or, or alcohol versus how you see yourself with your new, new diagnosis. But it was rather interesting to kind of look at it and see all the different steps and phases. And I'm like, well, you know what? Damn, I've gone through a lot of those myself. Um, because I think when you are newly diagnosed with things, and, and I'm sure you can say that, I would say with your wife now, her mm-hmm. diagnosis, things change. A lot of things yes, change. You start to look at things very differently and yeah. you have to. And for those that aren't, as exposed to this lifestyle, it takes a lot longer to kind of accept that, okay, things are different and they need to change versus people that are more familiar with it. I mean, you've been dealing with your vision for a while and you've had a lot of various health health issues along the way. Right. Might not be as severe as your wife's diagnosis with cancer, but no. you understand adapting and all right, it's not fun, but we got to deal with it. Right. So I think, I think there can be a lot learned from a lot of different people um, with a lot of different diagnoses, even, even addiction and mental health and some terminal mm-hmm. illnesses as well. Because I say it a lot. I think everyone, regardless of your diagnosis, we all deal with 70 to 80% of the same stuff. Mm-hmm. It's the same frustration of limitations that we can't do, how work treats us, how our social life changes, the medications, the doctors, the debt and expenses. Mm-hmm we might not have the exact same issue, like the exact same amount they were paying, the exact same medication, but in general, it's the same problems. Right. And then we have that, you know, 20 to 30% of, Hey, this is, these are issues specifically related to our diagnosis. True. And I think personally that we can all learn a lot from pulling all the groups together for that 70 to 80% that we all relate with. None of us were put on this planet to do it alone, and we can all learn from each other. One, well, there's, there's, there's roughly, what, a billion people in, in the world that are permanently disabled to some degree, and that's just disabled. Yeah. Let alone people that have chronic illnesses. I mean, and let's not even talk about the amount of people that deal with some level of mental health, whether it's depression right. or suicidal thoughts, or have an actual you know disorder or diagnosis that pertains to mental health. And... I think all of those groups together can all learn from each other, even though they're completely different diagnoses and conditions. I mean, the amount of things that I relate to on with all the people that I've interviewed and I've interviewed a couple of people with Crohn's and colitis, but I've interviewed people with elders, Danlos syndrome, dysautonomia, mm-hmm. um, CCHS, which I can't remember what it stands for, but there's a guy I interviewed not too long ago where he, he has to actively breathe. His body doesn't do it by itself. He has to think to breathe oh wow like he has to think and, and actively decide to take every breath that he takes and he has to be on like a ventilator what about like muscle dystrophy and all these different things and as unique as all the conditions are we all deal with a lot of the same stuff a lot of the same stressors and a lot of the same you know depression here and there based on what we're dealing with and as things change over time so i think it's really important to kind of pull all the communities together and 
<clears throat> I actually talk a lot about the Cancer Society of America because I think in the US, the Cancer Society has probably done the best job at pulling a bunch of people together for one cause, just dealing with cancer. Doesn't matter what kind of cancer, you're all under that same umbrella. And I think we need that just for everybody that's broken to some degree. Now, you were mentioning CCHS. I Googled it while you were talking there. Congenital Central Hyperventilation Syndrome. Yep, that's it. I remember the abbreviation for it. But yeah, he's, oh, how old is he? He's, he's early 30s. And he has to actively think about every breath that he takes. And at night, he has wow. to be on a ventilator. He's had it since he was a baby. So he's been on a ventilator at night. But we, I mean, there's still a lot of things that we related related to and a lot of a lot of experiences that we've kind of dealt with and a lot of viewpoints that we have that are similar because as different as our diagnoses are we still deal with a lot of the same stuff a lot of the same limitations because of our diagnosis a lot of same you know how people treat you and and mm -hmm. your social circle changes your work life changes everybody understands the medical cost of it yeah. <laughs> I mean, colitis, colitis is one of the more expensive ones. Cancer being one of the most expensive diagnoses oh, yeah. you can have in the United States. Oh, yeah. I'm glad we have insurance. I'm so glad. I want to hug my insurance agent. I mean, yep. that thankful. <laughs> I saw the raw bills. I went, oh, my gosh, I could have bought three houses with this. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, it's like Crohn's and colitis, because um, you can look up a lot of the conditions on the CDC's website, um, right. Crohn's and colitis all fall under irritable bowel disease. And on average in the United States, the average out-of-pocket expense mm -hmm. with insurance is between three or between eight and $13,000 a year. Wow. And that's not the most expensive one. Cancer's up there. Um, the out-of-pocket yeah. expense for cancer, I, um, I haven't looked it up recently, but it's, it's much higher. Yeah. Um, and they average that out between all the different, you know, healthcare or health mm -hmm plans because not all plans insurance. full cover you know cover right. everything right i'm sure you have a better insurance where it's covering a lot of it because some of them don't oh, cover it gosh yes we already reached i think tier three where it's 100 covered everything for the rest of the year and i'm like i want to hug my insurance man this is yep. great but yep. i'm dreading january i mean like oh my gosh i gotta start all over again yep yep when you hit your out-of-pocket deductibles <laughs> yeah yeah. Yep. No, I know. When, when I hit that, I'm like, all right, what's broken? What needs to be fixed? <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Dear, if there's anything else you want to have examined, removed, taken care of, this is the month to do it. You know, like get I want there, all the tests done. done. Like let's get everything <laughs> taken care of. Cause yeah. I've, I've kept out for the year. <laughs> I'm going to tell our doctors this fall. Okay. We have three months to the end of the year. Order any tests you want. The, all sales are final by the end of December because that's it. Yep. <laughs> get it done. It's like, ooh, that test sounds expensive. It's yeah. in network. Absolutely, yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. Right. Is that a mole or a freckle? Let's run a test on that. Yeah, could be skin cancer. Let's make sure it's not. Like, yeah, that's yeah. And and a lot of people that have insurance, they they hundred percent understand that. Like, all right, end yeah. of the year, let's fix everything. Yeah. First part of the year, you got to kind of like suffer through it. You're like, all right, yeah. it doesn't hurt that bad. End of the year, it's like, ah, I don't know. I stubbed my toe the other day. It might be broken. <laughs> yeah, that, some that x-rays. Yeah. 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 And that money in your HSA or FSA you have to spend by the end of the year. December's the month to get it done. Yep. Yep. No. So that's, 
Now, if only I could get them to back pay things that I still have debt on. But yeah. yeah, yeah, no. That's I think that's that's something everybody can relate with is the, yeah. the medical cost of, in the US is astronomical sometimes. Yes, it is. But the, the, the important thing I, I kind of want to get out of this, and I think you're kind of saying it, even though I've had a ischemic stroke to my spinal cord, I'm legally blind, and the list goes on. We mentioned it earlier. Some of the things I've done and 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 techniques I've used to deal with them and overcome them, even if you have a different disability, like in your case, Crohn's, colitis, whatever, um, some of the stuff I've done could help somebody else who has a totally different disability. So yeah. we can all help one another in the disabled community. Mm-hmm. Just especially, by sharing our experiences. Well, especially... I think it comes out a lot when it comes to the mental health aspect of it too. Right. Cause we all deal with a lot of different, you know, things mentally um, from oh, all yeah. the changes and everything we're dealing with and just prioritizing, taking some time to yourself and kind of resetting. I mean, mm-hmm. I talk about it Gotta a lot. Have that I, me time. Yep. I do a lot of photography um, mm-hmm. when I'm not working on the podcast, when I'm not working, I, you know, photography helps me reset. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a good amount of gaming. I'll game with mm-hmm. my friends. It's just kind of downtime right. chilling with my friends, right. no specific goals. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to prioritize it and whatever it is for you and the individual specifically, you have to prioritize it, whether it's watching your favorite TV show, watching a movie, writing, painting, gaming, it might seem to people, you know, on the outside world, like it's not being productive. It doesn't matter if you're being productive. It's, it's not mm-hmm. about being productive and getting something done. It's taking time to yourself to just reset in our it's society, not meant to be productive time. Focusing no, on your mental health is the productive part. The activity that you're doing to kind of relax and, and reset yourself doesn't actively have to be productive. It for some people it might be. You might find it really relaxing to write poems or songs or a book. And hell, you might write like a book that's published and you make a ton of money off of it. But that's not the goal. The goal is just to kind of reset your mind, ground yourself that way when you kind of go back to what you're dealing with you can go head on like okay here's all the problems i got to deal with here's a diagnosis from the doctor or a new medication then you can you're clear-minded and you can actually tackle with what you're dealing with yeah in our society we are so at least here in america i know podcasts can be listened to worldwide and we have this thing that we have to be productive all the time if we want to become successful we got to be constantly productive but if you don't take care of yourself it's going to sound weird, but at the point, I bet you will see it. You don't take care of yourself. You can't take care of yourself. And what I mean by that is you don't take care of your mental health. You're not going to be able to take care of yourself from any other disabilities or challenges you have in your life. So you got to have that downtime. And you're right. For me, what is helping me right now with the stress with my wife's cancer is I'm diving into my work even more so than normal. And it sounds counterproductive, but that's my escape where I can get so involved in my work. I'm not thinking about her cancer diagnosis. I'm not thinking about the next scan or the next meeting at the doctor and mm-hmm. what her cancer markers are going to be or any of that. I, I dived into something that I can block all of that out. And whether that be working or reading a book or in your case, gaming, we all got to do that at times. You're, yeah. The, the big thing is you're 100% focused on what you're doing in that moment. Right. You're not, you don't have these random thoughts floating around. You're not thinking about some, you know, diagnosis or test that's coming up or new medication or side of none of that. You're focused on what you're doing and there's no right or wrong answer to what that is. So I say, you know, writing, reading, painting, drawing, going outside and hiking for those that can photography, gaming, whatever. Mm. 
but the hard part is, especially depending on, you know, who's around you and, and on a regular basis, is setting that time aside to just be like, uh, leave me alone. This is what I'm doing. Yep. Um, as long as it's legal, go for it. Yep. Yep. Like, leave me alone. This is, this is my time. I want to reset. Um, because I know for some people, especially people that are younger, that are, you know, newly diagnosed and stuff, there's a lot of people always bugging you for updates, family members, yeah. someone over here, over there. It's like, nope, you got to be able to shut them down and be like, nope, I'll get to you guys when I get to you. You got to focus on you and dealing with what you've got going on. They can get an update in eventually. If they're not the ones dealing with it, you know, setting that time aside for you. You're like, all right, you know what? I need to watch. I'm just going to watch my favorite movie. You've watched it a hundred times. You want to watch it for your hundred and first time. Shut everybody it. else out. And then when you're done, you're like, yeah, all right. You can fill everybody in your family in on what's going on. You can tackle that, you know, that next test or get some more information on it. Tackle that bill you had to pay, whatever it is. You can wait until after you've had some time for yourself. And for some people, that is prayer time, and that works for many people. I know it works yep. for me at times, too. Uh, prayer can, can be a way to deal with it. Just talk, talk to God or whoever you believe is your higher power or higher being in, in your faith uh, about whatever your issues are and what's struggling you. That can be very beneficial. Mm -hmm. Now, one question I kind of want to ask you, if you don't mind me. I mean, we're reversing roles, but I think this would be fun. Um, denial. I mean, when I first had my ischemic stroke to my spinal cord, which is going to be a lifelong diagnosis for me, I thought, oh, well, the doctors don't know what they're doing. I was catheterized. And I thought, as soon as they get that out of me, I'll be able to walk. I'll show them they don't know what they're talking about. I was wrong. Oh, give me about two weeks. I'll be fine. I was wrong. I went through denial. Um, how, do you, how do you deal with denial? And, and um, you know, was that difficult for you when you first got diagnosed? Um, so when I first got diagnosed, I was 17. Okay. Just graduated high school. Mm -hmm. um, and summer break, well, you know, summertime, I guess it's not break because I graduated high school. So summer mm -hmm. after high yeah. school. Me and my friend, we went to my grandparents' vacation house. It's on a little island in um, Rhode Island. And we both ended up getting food poisoning because my grandparents are horrible at cooking food. And you love your, you love your grandparents if they're listening, right? I haven't actually talked to that side of the family in like five or six years. Oh, okay. Funny enough. Um, okay. <clears throat> yeah, that's a, that's a whole nother story. Um, okay. I've, I've touched on that one when it comes to cutting out family members in your life that are toxic oh. and not conducive oh, yeah. to your you health. Got, you got to prune that, that, that tree once in a while. I've done yep. that. <laughs> doesn't matter if they're blood relatives or not. Like if they're not good for your health, get rid of them. Just um, because you're related to me does not mean I have to like you. Nope. That's nope. my model. Yep. So my buddy got food poisoning, his went away, mine did. So I went back to the doctor and had to go to specialist, got diagnosed with colitis. Well, I have severe colitis. So it's mm -hmm. the 10% of diagnosis has fallen in the severe range, roughly. Right. In the severe range, I'm on the 10% of the people that have it really, really bad when it flares up. Well, when you're 17, communicating things is incredibly, you're, you're just perfect at it. You're a master of communicating anything that's mm -hmm. going on especially to your doctors about something that's uncomfortable to talk about because it's, you know, your butt. Yeah. You know, colitis. Um, so I didn't, I wasn't communicating with my doctors. So my colitis was slowly getting worse, mm -hmm. which 
kind of like the denial. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to focus on it. I just took the medication I was told to take and didn't really keep track of what it was doing. Right. Didn't keep track of the fact that my colitis wasn't getting better. It was getting worse. Mm-hmm. Now, on top of that, I have a high pain tolerance. So that didn't help in determining mm-hmm. how bad it was. Right. So over the first couple of months, it slowly got worse. We changed medications a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And it was about three or four months in. I went from like 160-ish to around 105 in a matter of three weeks. Are you talking weight? Yes. Okay. Yes. So I lost around 55 pounds in three weeks. Um, my body ate through all the fat on my body, started eating through my muscles and started picking organs to stop giving nutrients to. So I finally went to the hospital. I had like minor organ failure across half of my organs because they were mm. running out of food and, you know, Essentially, my body was starving itself, which it was because when you have colitis and you're essentially your whole half of your digestive tract is covered in ulcers, you don't have any way to absorb food that you're eating. Wow. Let alone to replace all the, you know, blood and everything that you're bleeding out. Mm-hmm. But that was kind of my denial stage. Um, and when I got to the hospital, I was 17. So when you're 17 and you go into the ER, they keep you a long-term stay. You go into the pediatric ward. Mm-hmm. So 17 in the long-term ward with a bunch of other kids. Yeah. That was my swift kick of maturity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're 17 and you're kind of ignoring all of your symptoms and, and you're kind of not dealing with it because you don't want to accept it. Right. And there's kids that are in there that are getting like chemo and all these other nasty things because their they're yeah. diagnosis are 10 times worse than what you have. Yeah. That was kind of the first... I guess dosage of perspective, pain puts things into perspective for mm-hmm. me. Right. Um, slowly fed into the, the purpose aspect of it, but it was definitely a lot of that. You know, I didn't want to talk to my doctors. I didn't want to deal with all the medications. I didn't want to change what I was eating. And that first time I was in the hospital was really bad. And I was there for like three weeks. It was 100% my fault for how bad it was. 100%. I would have probably been in there for a couple of days if that, if I would have been communicating with my doctor, if I would have just been like, okay, you know what? This sucks. I got to deal with it. It's time to grow up and, you know, be an adult. Nope. Yeah. I don't want to communicate anything. And I was on like super high dosages of, of steroids at the time too. Mm-hmm. So my doctor would just like call me randomly because I wouldn't call and give updates. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was definitely a lot of that at the beginning because it is, I mean, when you get diagnosed with something like you're talking about, you know, not being able to walk, run, mm-hmm. do something that you've done forever. Mm-hmm. That's a massive in denial. Yeah. Like that's a giant wall. Everything changes. Yeah. And for colitis, like your energy level changes, your diet changes, your social life changes, your, what you do and go, you know, where you are and go do things changes. Cause mm-hmm. colitis, you're tied to a bathroom. Right. So it's, it's a lot to take in. There's definitely that stage of denial. Like, no, this isn't, no, it can't be that bad. It can't be that bad. No, I don't, I don't believe it. No, it's not as bad as they're telling me it is. You just kind of ignore it. No, I definitely have that stage. I know before I had my ischemic stroke to the spinal cord, I watched a TV show called ER. It had Anthony Edwards in a great show it lasted 15 years. And I saw all these things happen to people in the ER. I thought, dang, that will never happen to me. Then I had my ischemic stroke to my spinal cord. And the show was still running first run episodes. I thought, 
wow, I hope that doesn't happen to me. It made me realize I am not invincible. Did you go through a phase like that? I don't... I don't know if I necessarily went through that specific phase. Um, so after getting out of the hospital the first time, I would say, I just kind of stopped doing a lot of things, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Social yeah. life died off. You know, you just mm -hmm. go to work. You're going through the, just the grind. Um, mm -hmm. Going through the motions. Yeah, going through the motions because that that first probably two years mm -hmm. colitis broke me as a person a hundred percent broke me down and i think after that it took it took a while but i kind of put all the pieces back together and, and created something new out of it but I don't know who I, who I was then before I got diagnosed and who I am now are completely different people. Yeah, I feel and the same way. That's, that's, that's colitis. Like there, there was, there was a lot of trying to do things that I just couldn't do anymore. Cause when I first got diagnosed, I was, I was in like a constant flare up to some degree, right. whether I was in the hospital or not, it just wasn't, you know, medications just weren't working and, you know, switching from one medication to another that takes like six months. Cause you try something out, you got to wait for it to get in your system and once it's in your system, you got to wait a little while and see if it works. If it doesn't work, now you got to switch to a different medication. So the first couple of years is just ironing things out. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it just breaks you as a person because you can't do any of the same stuff you used to do. Especially I lived in Massachusetts at the time. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about access to a restroom. <laughs> You're in the middle of nowhere all the time. So a lot of the stuff that I would regularly do, I, you just couldn't go do anymore. And I mean, up there, you have the occasional mall. They're like 45 minutes away from most part from where you live. So if you go to the mall, you're stuck at the mall because, you know, those are all the bathrooms are. No, I think, yeah, those, those first couple of years, colitis broke who I was as a person, 100%. Mm -hmm. And I think everything that's become come since then has been repiecing it together in a way that works for colitis and repiecing it together in a way where if the colitis flares up again i'm a lot more prepared for it i know that um my ischemic stroke has changed me uh, i used to be very arrogant self-centered i thought i could do everything on my own and it taught me to be humble and to ask for help uh, so it has changed me a lot, uh, made me a better person, I think. Uh, and my wife says, if you want to get rid of somebody who has a lot of ADHD, get the ADHD out of him, have him have a stroke because it does <laughs> knock the wind out of ADHD. I'll tell oh, you that. Boy. That's not the ideal way to do it, but <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I guess it works. It <laughs> yeah. does work. And she's like, oh, great. I can finally relax and not try to keep up with you. This is great. Oh, yeah, that, that's having a sense of humor around everything, right? Yeah. Well, if you're going to have a stroke, at least you're not, at least you're not hyper all the time anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just now have like ADD because I, I no longer am that hyper physically. Yeah. Mentally, I still am, but physically, yeah. no, I'm more stable. 
Well, but, that's, I mean, a lot of different conditions do that. Like colitis does a really good job at draining your energy and a lot of chronic illnesses do that, that energy drop. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think on my good days, I'm probably running at 70 to 80% of what my energy used to be before I had colitis. So, and that's on good days. Oh, is, I don't want to put a damper on your life, but that number is going to decrease as your age increases. Okay. Oh, oh I know. That. Oh, I know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> I am very well aware. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, so it's, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely been a lot of changes due to it. And there's a lot of planning based off of, hey, okay, that, that is a big thing that I talk about from time to time when it comes to work, mm-hmm. um, planning that out, because I have, you know, I'm a very mechanical based person. I went to school for automotive. And I actually just recently turned down a diesel-based position diesel apprenticeship right um that actually by the time the end of the apprenticeship i'd be making three to four times what i make now Mm -hmm. but looking at it as much as i love turning wrench if you're 100 percent healthy nothing wrong with you and you decide you want to be a diesel mechanic for 25 years before you retire that's not conducive to your health yeah (laughs) turning turning wrench does not go well with your health yeah now, if you're already broken, because so my bones are really bad from all the prednisone I was on, the steroids right. pulled away my bone density, mm-hmm. and um, you know, energy levels aren't there, and colitis, colitis doesn't help the things. So it's like, okay, I'm already broken. <laughs> my body's already not the greatest shape. Is turning wrench the best option for another another 25 years? Like, where am I gonna be at 25 years from now if I start turning wrench? Right. So yeah, it's that's it plays a big role in a lot of things too. And I've taken into account like, you know, I'd love to do this as a career, but that's not conducive to your health when you have a chronic illness or a condition as it is. So now there's, there's a lot of, a lot of things that you're going to have to take into account. And I think I definitely held on to the, the hope of being, you know, a mechanic of some degree as a mm-hmm. career, but you hit that wall eventually where it's like, okay, you know what, as much as it sucks, I can't, It's not a good idea. Right. And, you know, I know I can push my body. That's not a smart idea. No, Um, it never is for anybody. I'm actually going on a roughly two years of not having a second job. Mm -hmm. But two years ago, I decided to quit because I had been working two jobs for two years straight. And I was working Mm -hmm. 60 to 80 hours a week. Wow. Two years straight. One was retail. One was, you know, um, facility-based, facility maintenance. Mm -hmm. And... I would do it. I'd wake up at four o'clock in the morning to get to work at four 30, get out at one and I'd go work my retail job from like four till like 11 at night, mm-hmm. Monday through Friday, sometimes on the weekends too. I don't know how I did it for two years. I don't know either. <laughs> it's one of those things you're like, you're like gambling with death. Like, eh, it's, <laughs> let's play some more Russian roulette. Like, eh, it's only yeah. another. Yeah. So we think we're invincible when we're young and you know, you could you could maintain that kind of schedule for a while, but eventually your body's going to say, hey, man, you need some sleep. And yeah. if you don't listen to your body when it gives you warning signs, it will find a way to get your attention. Well, I mean, my body was surprisingly good because all I would do is sleep and work. Right. I'd wake up, go to work. My first job in between the two jobs, I'd take like a two hour nap. Mm-hmm. I'd go to work for my second job. I'd get home. I'd go to sleep immediately. That was all I would do. I would just work and sleep. That's it or just sleep and eat i hope yeah yeah occasionally you get between um but (laughs) like that was it so 
Yeah, I got to the point where I was like, you know, as, as nice as the money is, it's not yeah. not a good idea. Not the with colitis being stress based, I was like, ah, I probably shouldn't push this anymore. Yeah, like, I got two years out of it. That's probably yeah. way more than I should have gotten. Yeah. Take the money and run. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, unfortunately, this, you know, those 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 decisions that you have to make when you have a chronic illness. It's like you can't always focus on the financial side of it because. Mm-hmm push yourself too hard for the financial you know extra income or higher paying job that your body can't handle trust me your body's going to offset it oh yeah yeah you stress your body out and too you will much crash yeah when you crash sometimes it's a little too hard and yeah. it might end up being in the form of like a hospital stay or mm-hmm. the medication you're on's not working anymore because there's a stress aspect mm-hmm. so <clears throat> no you, i definitely keep track of those things and and, and be careful with it because I don't want to push my colitis any more than it is because I've been on most of the medications that are used to treat it and most mm-hmm. of them don't work. Yeah, that's not good. So if I push myself too too much with the current medication I'm on and it stops working, there's not a lot of mm-hmm. other options. Yeah. So yeah, you gotta be you gotta be mindful of that. Balance your desires for what you, your limitations are. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta you gotta understand your limitations as much as they much yeah. suck much can suck to accept you got to accept them because if you push past them you can create a lot of other issues that might be a lot larger than those limitations in the long run or it might result in more limitations yeah and you may reach a point that oh man i i screwed this up so badly i can't turn it around and go back to better health that i had you can lose some health permanently well yeah especially when you know like myself i've been on a lot of the medications if Mm -hmm. this one stops working I don't know if the other ones that are left will work. Mm-hmm. It's just this one worked, so we stopped with it, and it's been working for a long time. So last thing you want to do is break something that's working because the other options that could potentially work might not work at all. Might not. Mm. And then you don't want to take that risk. Yeah. And then then where are you at? Depending on what your your condition is, you might that might be a lot more painful. So yeah, I think that's one of the most important things is learning your limitations and. You know, I think there's a balance between understanding what your limitations are and still doing things. Like you can still go do mm-hmm. things. It's just you you have to be careful of them. You have to be aware mm-hmm. of them and understand. Like, okay, you know what? This is my limitation. Can they be pushed? Yes, you can push some of those limitations. Like diet wise, I know I can have spicy food mm-hmm. every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Maybe once a week or once every other week doesn't mean i can go to buffalo wild wings and get hot wings every single day of the week and expect it to work out for me yeah like that's that's not gonna work but i can go every once in a while and get some mild wings and go crazy right am i gonna pay for it a little bit yeah i might be in the bathroom a little more mm-hmm. that night but mm-hmm. it was worth it to me but can i do it every day of the week absolutely not <laughs> no well i think that's true for anybody it's all we all have food that we love and if we consume too much of anything that we love there's a price to pay yep no matter what conditions you have or if you don't have any well and and if you have conditions that that not only the food aspect of it it could Mm -hmm. same thing can come into play like if you're working out if you're being active i know like uh one of the guys that i talked to that has muscle dystrophy he can't he's got to be really careful with how much he pushes his body Mm -hmm. because muscle dystrophy your muscles will deteriorate essentially Mm -hmm. and they can cause kidney problems because your kidney is now trying to break down pieces of your muscle that got torn apart by using them 
right they you know their muscles don't regenerate the way that the rest of ours would so same thing he's got to be really careful as he's pushing how much he's walking or being active not that he can't do it he just definitely can't do it every day right so we all we all have those limitations and it's understanding them and respecting them and knowing when you can reasonably and responsibly push those limitations i mean even if you're healthy i mean look at baseball players or any athlete they push their bodies and sometimes hey they're out out of the game for a couple of weeks couple of months sometimes it ends their career because they pushed it too far yep. so you got to be careful no matter who you are challenges or not you 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 only have one body and they don't make spare parts for it. So yep. <laughs> push, but don't break. Yep. You gotta be careful how, how far you push. Cause everything's going to push back and it might push back a lot harder than you expected. Yeah. Like they say in baseball though, when you're in the outfield running for a ball, remember the wall is undefeated, yep. which means <laughs> the wall is going to win. Every time you crash into it, the wall is going to come out better than you. Yep. So it's, a, it's the same thing with, I would say that that applies to a lot of different conditions and a lot of different activities. Like, the, yeah. Understand and respect your limitations. It doesn't mean it needs to be the end of mm-hmm. everything you do. You just need to understand it and work within it. You can still do things. And I mean, I still have a lot of goals. And as the, mm-hmm. the podcast grows, I'd like to do some, some big events that require a little more active, you know, physical activeness. Mm-hmm. But, um, understanding and working towards in a responsible way not just pushing forward blind blindly and hoping it goes for the best because that's another thing is a lot of us are really good at our bodies are really good at suffering so yes they will endure a lot but at a certain point they said i'm done yep so unfortunately we can uh, push ourselves a little too much and not realize Mm -hmm. it because our bodies are so used to the pain and discomfort it's not just physical uh pushing if if somebody drinks and they drink way too much, your body's going to eventually react to that. And you can get very, very sick and not just being addicted to alcohol. You, you can have some very serious consequences like liver damage, etc. So mm-hmm. it's not just physical pushing. Anything you push the boundaries of, there is going to be a wall that you're going to hit. Yep. And some of those walls are a lot harder than others. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a learning curve. And I think that's yeah. a, a, another usefulness for this, you know, podcast and hopefully a, a brand in the future, mm-hmm. sharing those stories and letting people know, hey, this is my experience. Don't do it so that they don't have to learn the hard way. Yeah, I've definitely learned a lot of things the hard way and the school of hard knocks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have a PhD from them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's essentially I, <clears throat> The way I look at it, I'm being the resource I wish I had when I was first diagnosed. Because I like that. Yes, I, I agree. There's a lot of things I would have done differently if I knew all this information. And yeah, <clears throat> it would have prevented a lot of a lot of pain and probably a lot of medical expense as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. a lot of downtime, mm-hmm. a lot of misery, a unnecessary lot of time in the hospital. Yeah, a lot of depression. <laughs> depression with uh, challenges in life. In fact, so. it's one of the um, ironically it's one of the five stages of grief even though we have not died or had someone die i believe that when people are facing a challenge especially at the beginning of it they go through the five stages which is denial and isolation anger bargaining depression and then finally acceptance i mean in a way diagnosis is kind of 
in a way you kind of kind of a part of you does die like i'm not gonna mm-hmm. lie the, the yeah. person who i was before my diagnosis is they died right that alex is no longer here there's a lot of uh, dreams and goals that died with the diagnosis there's a lot of realities that died with it mm-hmm. like like being a mechanic for example as a full-time right. career so going through those those i guess those stages of grief is is fully understandable because a part of you dies if not a good chunk of you based on your new condition and, and limitations so yeah that's a really good point is you you a lot of people do go through those different stages because it's it might not be a family member or somebody you knew but it's a part of you right a part of you dies mm-hmm. you have to reinvent yourself mm-hmm. yep and um, like i said my colitis broke me down and i rebuilt something with the pieces it was it was different mm-hmm. and i think you know talk about it a little bit you know i'm, I'm not saying I love my diagnosis. I'm, I'm excited that I have colitis, but I am grateful for everything that I've learned because of it. And, I, I'm not excited about mine either, but I know it could have been a lot worse. Mm-hmm. And I'm very grateful that it wasn't. Yeah, when I was in the rehab hospital, I saw patients who were going to be in a prolonged vegetative state the rest of their lives. And I'm yep. so grateful that did not happen to me. Because my ischemic stroke to my spinal cord happened during uh, my ascending to descending aortic bypass, and it could have been a lot worse for me. And I keep so, that in mind. Yeah, yeah, and then, I think that's an important thing, and that's something that I I practice daily in the morning and and at night, both when I wake up and before I go to bed. Mm-hmm. You know, going over the things I'm grateful for, as simple as they may be, it's an important thing to do, and and kind of to help put things into perspective with what we deal with is. And be grateful for the things that we do have because right. some people don't even have that. Yeah. So there's always somebody who has it worse than you. Yep. Yep. And it's, it's, I guess it's understanding. And I, and I think there's, like I said, it goes back to the pain, puts things into perspective and that perspective gives you a purpose. And there's, you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately there's a reason behind it, everything we deal with. And I think, Worst thing you can do is ignore the lesson you're trying to be taught. So you have to be taught it again. Learn from the universe for find a way to make you learn it. Look, if I'm going to deal with something that's painful, I'm going to learn as much as I can from it because (laughs) I am not about to go through it again. (laughs) Or if I go through it again, I want to be ready. Like, yeah. So much as it sucks, learn, learn from what you, you know, learn from that pain. Because if you don't, there's a good chance you're going to experience it again. And stronger and more yep. painful yep because you know you gotta you, you really gotta learn from it because it didn't it didn't help the first time yeah lesson didn't get through you the first time we're gonna get it through there the second time and then then you can take that knowledge and you can help other people that, that's right that's that are, what you should that do. need that help and that's you know that's what this is so all right yeah see yeah we end up talking about a whole bunch of random stuff yes we have but it's but it's good. It's all informative, yeah. which which is not uh, a is atypical for me because with my ADHD, I do tend to jump around a lot. So, yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> you probably have witnessed that, and, and your audience has witnessed it as well. I hey. I have the attention span of a hamster on uh, on caffeine. Hey, I so. do that a lot too, so it works out. <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate being a guest on your podcast and. If I can, I like to invite people to check out my podcast while I'm here. Yep, go for it. Plug plug away. All right. My podcast is called 
define yourself podcast with the Chris Mitchell. Again, that's not arrogant. That's my domain, thechrisbitchell.com. See how it works there. And like it's it. a weekly podcast. And I have people on who have faced challenges, obstacles, adversities, limitations, and setbacks, sharing their story of how they overcame or overcoming it. So people who have similar conditions can find success that they want in their professional, academic, and or personalized. And you can find the podcast on your favorite podcast player platform or by going to www.defineyourselfpodcast.com. Thank you guys for stopping by and listening to the podcast. I appreciate everyone. Make sure you guys stop and check out chronicliving.info. Got a new website up and running that's going to be the main area to find all the social media content as well as accounts. So make sure you guys stop by if anyone's looking to share their story, volunteer, either time or experience. There's also going to be some links on there of how you guys can get involved. As always, I appreciate you guys, and I'll see you in the next one.